Again, I just wanted to extend a welcome to our visitors and tell you that we are glad that you are with us today. Um, and uh, we believe that church is something to be enjoyed, not endured. We know that a lot of people, when they come to church or when they think about church, uh, especially people who don't normally go to church, there's a couple of reasons that people don't like going to church. Number one, they say it's unfriendly, right? Have you ever been to a church and people are unfriendly, right? Um, sometimes it's the other first-time visitors that are unfriendly. You guys are just first time there together, so you think it's people from the church. But in general, people are like, we don't go to church because, uh, because people are unfriendly. They think it's boring. They think it's irrelevant to their lives. And uh, they think that the church just wants their money, right? Anybody this morning, have you ever thought those things? Like, I don't want to go there. They're just going to ask me for money. Um, and, uh, and so we know that that's the perception that people have about church, but we are here not because we decided to set something up for ourselves to do on a Sunday morning. We were a little bit bored, and we were like, what should we do? Hey, let's get some chairs and have church. Uh, no, we did this because we believe in something powerful that God has done in our lives and wants to do in your life. And so we believe that church should be the friendliest place on earth. Uh, we believe that it should be a place where uh, you find out about the goodness of God in a way that is relevant to your life. Uh, it should definitely not be boring. It's something that we get to enjoy together. And, um, and you can keep your money for yourself until God speaks to your heart. We give not because we have to, we give because we want to, because we want to be a part of something bigger. So, um, so if you're visiting with us today and uh, you're not sure if you're kind of in with all these things that we're saying, that's okay. We want you to just feel at home and know that this is a place where you can come as you are. We believe that God invites us as we are with all of our rags, with all of our issues, with all of our insecurities, with all of our imperfections. He doesn't say, hey, please fix yourself and then come in. He says, come as you are. And what we do once we're here is that we trust God to do something in our lives that we couldn't have done for ourselves. That's the message of the gospel. It's the message of the cross. This is not self-help. If you have self-help books, go home and burn them, all right? Because the problem with helping yourself is that you're always being helped by somebody who needs help. And, uh, and so you can't actually, I've tried to help myself too many times in life and I got to a point where I realized I need a savior. I need somebody who has grace and the ability to do something in my life that's bigger than what I can do for myself. And that's why as a church, uh, we just absolutely love the message of the Bible because the Bible is not a book of rules. It's not even a manual for life. It's not even a, a treasure map. Or what, what are all these little things that we sometimes learn in Sunday school about what the Bible is? The Bible is not a system. It's not a, an instruction manual. Um, how many of you read instruction manuals anyways? I, I don't. I throw stuff away and then I struggle later, okay? Um, we don't read instruction manuals. So it, it's horrible to see the Bible as an instruction manual. It's more than that. The Bible Bible says, and, and God's word is, and Jesus spoke about how the word of God is his spoken spirit. It is his spoken word. It is his ruach. It is his power. It is living and active, being able to cut down to where the soul and the spirit meet, and it doesn't return unto him void. It produces something in our lives when it's spoken. And so the Bible is not about finding out what you're supposed to do in order to try and be better. It is, it is there to reveal what God has done for you through his son, Jesus. In other words, it's not advice. The Bible's not advice. It's news. It's good news. It's news about what Jesus has already done for you and what he can do in your life the moment you trust him. And that's why we love the Bible, this good news of what God has done for each of us, this vibrant, engaging, relevant message of God's grace that changes our lives. We do not read the Bible to be religious. We read the Bible to lose our religion. 
We read the Bible to find out how we can lose our own concepts of measuring up or being a good person or being acceptable to God. We all have those ideas. If you ask people, how do you get into heaven? They'll always tell you, oh, be a good person, be a good person. It's like, okay, so how good exactly? At what point do you know that you've tipped the scale in your, in your own favor? And then everybody, even if they're, even if they're the worst, they could be serial killers and they go, you know what, I've made some mistakes, but I believe I'm a good person. So basically everybody then qualifies themselves according to their own standards. And, and, and this is how our world evaluates goodness and acceptability before God. And, and this is what leads to religion where people try very hard to be accepted by God, but the message of the Bible is actually something completely different. The message of the Bible is a statement about what God has done. It's a statement to let you know that the goalposts are not gonna change. They're not gonna shift. Because no matter how good you are, you could always be better because none of us are perfect, right? Have you ever played Ching Chong Cha with a child? You know what the problem with playing Ching Chong Cha with a child is? is that rock, paper, scissors is way too limited for them. And if they keep losing, the, what they'll do is they'll make up a fourth element and then a fifth element and a sixth element and eventually you're like, well, I've got a rock and they're like, well, I've got a bulldozer and my bulldozer beats your rock every time, buddy. You know, it's like, you can't play Ching Chong Cha with a child because the rules keep changing. And it's the same with religious people. With religious people, you can never win because it doesn't matter how hard you try or how good you try to be, you're never good enough. And if you've ever tried to measure up to some standard of goodness, you'll find out that no matter how hard you try, uh, we could always do better. And so what actually happens is we become despondent and we feel like we're never good, uh, good enough and, and we, we live with this constant sense of, I, don't, I can't live up to this. It actually breeds condemnation. We actually feel like God is angry with us all the time and that he doesn't even wanna speak to us. And it's that condemnation that separates us from God. We find that the message of the Bible is something quite different. It's not an ever-shifting, ever-escalating call to measure up, but the truth in all honesty that none of us have ever or could ever measure up. None of us can attain to a perfect standard of righteousness, but Jesus was the perfect sacrifice for all of our unrighteousness. He took every bit of our shame, every bit of our guilt, every bit of our sin upon himself, and he once and for all made us right with God without us having to have ever done a single religious thing in order to be accepted. This is the scandalous message of the gospel. It's actually the message of the Bible, that there is grace from God that we could never have deserved or earned that makes us right with him. It says in Romans that now a righteousness apart from the law, apart from rules, apart from principles has been revealed through faith in Christ Jesus. So righteousness is a big religious sounding word that simply means to be right with God. We get to be right with God apart from our works, but by his grace. And that's what we celebrate. It's, it's something that reunites us with God in a way that makes us come alive. Where our sin separated us from God, it's Jesus' sacrifice on the cross that reconciled us to the Father. And all of it is by this one word, this one concept. It's not even a concept, it's a person. And that word is grace. Grace is a person, grace is Jesus, it's his presence. And Jesus is present in our lives because of his grace. We couldn't have earned his presence. 
And that grace is the distinguishing mark. It's the distinguishing factor of Christianity. It is what separates Christianity from every other religious philosophy or idea on the planet because every philosophy, including religious Christians, think that they need to do certain things, take certain steps in order to be made right with God. But what the Bible declares is the grace of God has been revealed to all people. And that grace says that you have been saved and redeemed and made right with God not because of your religious actions, but because of God's love and unmerited favor and the the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. That's the concept of grace. uh, C.S. Lewis said, the son of God became a man so that men could become sons of God. That's what he did. That's his grace and that's his love. And and so as a church, we go through the Bible and uh, we work through different books in the Bible together. Um, For essentially all of 2017, we've been working through the book of Romans. And uh, we're right at the end of Romans. We've got the three chapters to go. Um, And today we're in Romans 14. And what we love about this letter that Paul wrote to the church in Rome is that first of all, he starts off by going, hey, 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 all of you, stop thinking that you can make it on your own. We're all guilty. All of us have made mistakes, all of us have sinned, all of us have fallen short, all of us are guilty before God, but here's the thing, he wants us to know that we're guilty, he gave us the law to show us that we're guilty, because if you think you're very good, um, then just try very hard to be good, and you'll find out you're not so good, right? And so do that, try to fulfill the law, and in doing that, people failed and realized we need a savior. And then he declares, and God is that savior. Jesus is that savior. By one man, even though through Adam's disobedience, sin spread to all men, by one man, by Jesus, all have been made righteous. It's the free gift of God. And, and, and this is what it declares, that it's always only Jesus. We see this in Romans 3.21. I'm gonna go through a couple of verses with you today, but Romans 3.21 says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested or revealed apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, it shows us that we need it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified, which means just as if you had never sinned, by his grace as a gift. By his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So it's a complete gift, free for all of us. And then Paul gets to, he, he does this for the first 11 chapters, he gets to Romans 12, and he basically says, right, so now that you know that you're not a good person, but God has saved you by his grace, guess what's gonna happen? The more you believe that and know that, right believing leads to right living, because what happens is God transforms you from the inside out. Now, as you're being transformed, you'll begin to see your own life change. But it's not something that you're working hard to try and produce, it's the grace of God at work within you. And so all of a sudden, you realize you're not as short-tempered as you used to be. You realize you're not as, as, as selfish as you used to be. You realize you're not as, as um, you know, um, set on your own way or your own opinion as you used to be. You don't take yourself so seriously anymore. You can laugh a little bit. You can relax a little bit because you understand that your righteousness is not based on you. It's based on God's goodness. And so he says your life will change. And the invitation to follow Jesus is an invitation to a journey. People don't understand that. They think that, well, I've got to go from being one thing to being another thing the next day. And, and spiritually, that's true. But there's still a process and a journey that we walk out as God unfolds his salvation in our lives and his sanctification. So again, you can come as you are. The invitation is to come as you are and 
we believe that God's love and grace won't leave you as you are. So these are the, are the marks of a changed life. And this is what Paul begins to speak about in Romans 12. He says that your life will change. You'll love more, you'll serve more, you'll engage in church more, you'll be generous, you'll have grace for others, um, you'll have an attitude of self-forgetfulness, um, all these things that we've discussed. But then we get to Romans 14 where we're at today. And in Romans 14, uh, Paul actually changes his tone a little bit. And he says that in all of this changing of life that happens, there's a trap. There's a trap that every human being will fall into. My grandfather used to say that if God can't push you over, if the devil can't push you over backwards, he'll push you over forwards. If he can't get you to fall back into sin and fall back into an unhealthy lifestyle and fall back into all the things that you were doing before you knew Jesus, he's gonna push you forward and he's gonna make you think you're so good that you actually become bad. He's gonna make you so prideful and so self-righteous and so judgmental that you're actually worse off than what you were before. And Jesus spoke about religious people in this way. You might think that I'm, I've got hard words for religious people today, but Jesus had worse, way worse. I won't read them to you today because I don't wanna offend you. But what Jesus said about the religious was harsh. He said that, they thought that if the light that is in them, that they think is light, if it's actually darkness, how great is that darkness? In other words, how great is the deception if you think that the one thing that is making you good is actually the thing that's making you bad? And that's what religion does. It makes us fall in love with ourselves rather than in love with Jesus. It makes us think that we're good rather than we've been graced by God to do good. And it makes us become all about us. Religion does that. And so Paul speaks about that. Have you, have you ever met somebody like that? Have you ever met somebody? It's the most off-putting thing in the world. Somebody that thinks they're so good and so holy, and Christians are often guilty about this. I speak to Christians on this matter all of the time because I don't want our church to be this way. I don't want us to be judgmental people that, are, that think we're better than everybody else because it's opposite to the heart of God. Jesus spent most of his time with the greatest sinners, with the tax collectors, with the, with the prostitutes, those are the people he hung out with. If you've ever met somebody like that, it, it can be so off-putting. It's like people who, who do humble brags. You know what a humble brag is? When, when you say something um, that actually you know, tells people how amazing you are, um, but you do it in a way that makes you sound very humble. <laughs> so you'd say something like, oh, you know, I'm just so tired. I, you know, it's such a slip, but I had to go for this cover shoot yesterday, and you know, the lights were in my eyes all day. No, it's, it's not glamorous at all. It's just, you know... I guess somebody has to do it. You know, it's, you're actually just bragging. You're just actually completely bragging. And, and the best humble brag, like the ultimate humble brag, like if, if, if humble brag died and, and had a gravestone, this would be on the gravestone of the humble brag. I don't know why I thought of that. But um, this is the, the ultimate statement of the humble brag is when people call themselves humble. <laughs> it's, the, it's like, you know, I'm just a humble guy. You just disqualified yourself. Like... <laughs> You just did the opposite of humility right there. I don't know if you realize that, but humble people don't call themselves humble, right? And you'll find that, and, and, and we don't want that kind of false humility. We don't want that kind of false, inauthentic Christianity, that kind of false faith. This is not a show. It's not us pretending. It's not, it's not something we're, we, we, that's compartmentalized. If your Christianity is just something that you do on the weekends, then rather drop it. I'd encourage you, you'd be better off just go and live your life any way you want to. Rather don't just keep it as some little thing that, 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 that means nothing to your actual life. It's just a pretense. 
We don't want that here. Like we want authentic, authentic. if you're gonna be an unbeliever, be authentically unbeliever. And if you're gonna be a believer, I don't know. If you're gonna be a believer, then believe, right? Let's not pretend. And if you're on a journey and you're struggling, then say that. Rather than saying, no, no, I'm a Christian, I'm fine, but your life doesn't reflect it. Rather say, hey, I'm struggling with this idea and, and I'm open to God speaking to me. But that's what religion turns us into. It turns us into a Pharisee. A Pharisee is a person who monitors the sins of others while excusing their own. It's pride parading as piety. And it's actually a misrepresentation of Jesus and his followers. In Matthew 23, verse five, Jesus speaks about Pharisees and he says, all their works they do to be seen by men. Everything they do, they, they wanna be seen. You know, it's like the people that go and help the poor, but then they, it's, you know, I'm gonna help the poor unless there's somebody with an Instagram around. You know, somebody can, if I can photo, take a photo, Instagram it later, tons of likes, then I'm willing to help the poor. But none of us are willing to truly identify with the poor and be counted amongst them. And that's what happens. That's what, we do things to be seen. We wanna be announced in the streets and have the best seats at the feasts. And so Jesus actually mentioned God's house and God's people as a party and that people that were originally um, invited to this dinner, to this party, were the religious people, were, were the people of Israel, were the, were the Jewish people. And in Luke 14, Jesus says this, listen to this, it says, Jesus replied with a story. A man prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations, right? When the banquet was ready, he sent his servant out to, to, call, uh, to tell the guests, come, the banquet is ready. But they all began making excuses. And I'm not gonna read the verses, but it was the worst excuses ever. The one guy, the one guy was like, I bought new oxen and I have to test them. Like that was his excuse. Like I've just got new oxen and I'm sorry, but I have to test them. The other guy, and I love this, it's actually in the Bible, it says, I just got married, so I can't, I, I can't make it. Like basically his wife said no, okay? So... <laughs> So they make all these excuses. And you know what? That's what we do when we're religious. God says, I want you to accept my grace. And we go, you know what, God? I've got my own thing going on. And, uh, and so I'm not gonna accept your grace. I'm, I'm okay over here. And so it says, um, the servant returned and told his master what they had said. Um, his master was furious and said, go quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. After the servant had done this, he reported, there is still room for more. So his master said, go out into the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge anyone you find to come so that the house will be full. For none of those I first invited will get even the smallest taste of my banquet. In other words, you're not going to get a part of this banquet because you're religious or because you've got your own thing going on. You're gonna be welcomed by God because you are poor, because you are blind, because you are crippled, and because you are lame. And guess what? That's why I get to be a part of the banquet today. That's why I get to share because I'm perfect, imperfect, I'm, I'm, I'm broken, I've got many flaws. And so God says, come, come in, come in. And this is what God invites us to. So God has welcomed us. That's the title of my message today, that God has welcomed you. He has welcomed you individually, no matter how crippled you may be, no matter how blind you may be, no matter how, how flawed your life may be, God has invited you to this party and you have a seat at the table, every single one of you. So Paul, again and again and again, he addresses this kind of thinking where, where we think that, that we're better because we're Christians or we're better because we do uh, better. And, and what we always do is that, is that we always judge others from our position of strength. 
So if you have never struggled with alcohol and somebody else struggles with alcohol, then you would go, I can't believe people struggle with alcohol. Right? We do that. We're like, yeah, it's such a silly thing. Just put the bottle down. But you've never struggled with it. You've never struggled with it. And then the areas that we struggle in, whatever that may be, we have loads of grace for others. We're like, no, I understand. It is hard. (laughs) So we always are judging from a position of strength. But if we're going to judge, let's judge across the board. And that's why Jesus said, whoever has the f- no sin, cast the first stone. So in a few minutes here, I'm just gonna look at Romans 14. This is what Paul says. Romans 14, one to four says, as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him. Welcome the person that is weak in faith, but not to quarrel over opinions. I love that. There are people that are weak in faith, welcome them in, but don't do it so that you can quarrel ab- over opinions. Because some people are like, come into our church. Come, it's fun. It's going to be great. Sit down there. I'm going to talk to you about some things. Right? Welcome the one who's weak in faith, but not so that you can quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. God has welcomed him. And so we can welcome him. You see, we welcome one another on the basis of God's welcome, not our own welcome. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Sometimes we're more concerned about the Christianity of others than we are about our own. (laughs) We're more set on correcting other people's faith and belief systems than we are at looking at our own and being honest about them. I don't know if you remember the first time you went to gym. Anybody here remember the first time they went to an actual gym where they got a contract and they're like, like I remember back, in, and some of you are old enough to remember this, I remember back in the Shopper Image days. Anybody ever remember Shopper Image? It was a gym, it is no longer, all right? And I remember that was my first gym experience and, um, and I remember walking around there and there was a big sign up that said, sweat towels are compulsory. And I was like, oh my gosh, what is a sweat towel? <laughs> like, I don't know what that even is. And then I remember getting on this one piece of equipment and it's a weird piece of equipment where you actually have to put your legs through and then train your, your hamstrings. And I, I was putting my legs over instead of, it's supposed to go under and over and I went over and under. And I was like, it was a mess. Um, and I was sitting there and I was like, you know, I'm going to make this work. Um, one way or another, I'm going to get this piece of equipment to do something to my legs. And so um, I, was, I was battling. And eventually, like, I think it was a teenage girl came over to me and she's like, hey, do you need some help? Your legs. And I was like, I got it. No, I'm just doing an alternative exercise. This is, <laughs> this is advanced level only. I know what I'm doing, but thank you very much. Like, you know. But it's amazing when you start out at gym, you're so useless and so clueless and you're so insecure. And then you become good at gym or going to the gym. And then somebody else walks in and you see like, oh my gosh, they have no sweat towel and they're walking around there. And, and then you see them struggling on the equipment and you, and you pull out your phone to film them so you can post it on YouTube because it's so <laughs> hilarious. And you forget that you were that person. You were that person before at one point in your life. And so... This is ultimately what it is, is, is telling us is don't judge others because you were just like that. Welcome those instead that are weak in the faith. 
And don't make an issue about your own opinions. A lot of people think that what they believe about God is God's word, and oftentimes it's not. It's just your opinion about God. People like to say, and I, I always, I, I actually, again, I can't judge these people because I used to be one of them. Um, but I always used to say, you know, the Bible is black and white. It's one way or another. Have you heard those Christians? Black or white. I want to show you what black and white looks like, right? If this is a picture of penguins, they're, they're having a party. This is after church at the cafe, right? Um, this is a picture of penguins. That is the full color. That is the full scope. Black and white looks like this. True black and white. Uh, not that one, the other one. There we go. That's black and white. Black and white has no nuance. It has no space for individuality. It has, it, it has lost the ability to express detail because it forces you, it polarizes you into one way or another. Black and white is how you become judgmental. Now, there are certain things in the Bible that are absolutes, like, for example, that Jesus was born of a virgin, that he was alive in the flesh, that he died on the cross, that he was raised from the dead. That's black and white. We're not arguing about those things. Those are meant to polarize you. Those are meant. You've got to choose one way or another. You either believe that or you don't believe that. Right. But what Romans 14 says is that there is actually some gray in the Bible, and the gray is dependent upon how God is speaking to your heart as an individual. And it gives us this. The next picture. It gives us nuance. It gives us detail. It gives us vibrance. It gives us a fuller spectrum of everything that God calls us to be. Some people abstain from certain food and from certain drink for their own conscience. And we would hear about people that, you know, when you offer them something, they say, no, it's, you know, for my religious beliefs, I abstain. And we think, wow, they're so strong. But I want you to notice that in the scripture, it said that we must bear with those who are weak in the faith because those who are weak only eat vegetables. In other words, they say there are some things that are unclean. There's some things I just cannot eat. There's some things I cannot partake in. That means that your faith is still weak because you think that your rightness with God depends on what you eat or drink. Where Jesus said, it's not what enters into the mouth of a person that defiles them. It's what's happening in your heart and comes out of your mouth. So being weak in faith is when you think that you need to supplement what Jesus has done on the cross for you by religious principles that help you to be better and more accepted by God. That's weak faith. But guess what? You're still welcome. Guess what? We're not going to argue about it. If to you, you would prefer to abstain, if you think that certain things affect you and if it offends your conscience, then serve God fully in that way. We're not going to judge that. In fact, we're going to respect it. We're gonna respect the way that you feel that you want to live out your faith, except the Bible says, then don't judge those who don't feel about it the same way that you do. Don't judge those who say, I don't have an issue with eating something or drinking something or observing the Sabbath or not observing the Sabbath or whatever it might be, because we're not under the law, we're under grace. And so don't judge either way. Don't judge those who abstain and don't judge those who partake. So for those of us that are already at the party, we welcome those people. We welcome those that are weak in the faith because God has welcomed them. And this is God's house. It's his party. Romans 14 verse 5, it says this. It says, one person esteems one day as better than, the other, than another, while another esteems all days alike. 
Each one should be, should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day, observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in the honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. And, and ultimately, you know, there's some people that, that they're Christians and they say, we've got to honor the Sabbath. Now, I believe in honoring the Sabbath, whatever that means to you, whatever Sabbath means to you, because it tells us in the Bible that the Sabbath and the feasts and all the rules that were in the Old Testament were simply a picture of Jesus. In Colossians 2, it says, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come. The substance belongs to Christ. You see, Jesus is the Sabbath. He's the one who gives us rest. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 11 that as God rested from his works when he, on the Sabbath, so we who have put our faith in Christ rest from our works also. And it says in verse uh, four, sorry, Hebrews 4, 11 says, therefore let us be diligent to rest, lest we become disobedient to the gospel. You see, it's a little bit different. It's a little bit different. So Christians judge each other on the Sabbath. Should you work on the Sabbath? Shouldn't you work on the Sabbath? Here's what the Bible says. It's a gray area. If you have chosen to observe one day in honor of the Lord, then do it with all your might. Be fully convinced in your mind that that's the day that you're gonna give to God. But if you have chosen to esteem every single day alike and honor God on every single one of those days, then do that to the honor of God. Be fully convinced in your own mind. I'm just telling you what Paul says. This is the gospel. So I, I enjoy taking a Sabbath. I think Sabbath rest is good. I think it, it does a lot for us, but it doesn't change my relationship with God. Romans 14, 13 says, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block of hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and I am persuaded in the Lord Jesus Christ or in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. Nothing is unclean. It's not the thing itself that makes it unclean. Is anybody, Hideon, you don't happen, happen to have a monster energy drink with you today, do you? Okay, he always does, but today he doesn't. Um, so if I had a monster energy drink here today, and I'm just a silly example, but you may have heard from some Christians and some emails or whatever that, that the symbols on the monster energy drink are actually the Hebrew symbol for six, and so it's actually triple six monster energy drink, right? So a lot of Christians believe that if you drink the triple six monster energy drink, look, I do believe that there's some form of that stuff that's demonic, but it's not for the reason that you think. And, and, and so <laughs> people think if, if I take this can of monster energy drink that may have this hidden symbol that it's gonna somehow affect my relationship with God. If I had one here today, I would open up the monster in energy drink and I would down it in front of you and I would still be able to worship Jesus as, as sincerely and as fully as I ever have. Because you know what's more powerful than a monster energy drink is the blood of Jesus. I am right with God because he made me right with him. And I'm not affected by silly things. Does that make sense? We're strong in our faith. But if I'm offended, if my conscience is offended by monster energy drink or any other energy drink or any other food or any other thing, then I'll abstain from it. I remember when I was a kid, um, I got these little uh, these tattoos, you know, these tattoos that sometimes comes with bubble gum. And, uh, and so I was like, can I put this tattoo on? And so my mom was like, my mom was like, let's read what the Bible says about tattoos. And she found a verse in Leviticus, obviously. 
And that verse said, do not make any tattoo markings of yourself. Now there was context to that because the pagan religions of that day would cut themselves in honor of their gods and God didn't want his people to be, um, you know, to take on that culture and so he spoke out against tattoos. And so for me, I had to pray about it and my mom kind of did this, you pray about it and you decide. It didn't work for three of my siblings. Three of them were like, no, we're sticking this thing on, man. This thing's going on. This is great. This is amazing. Blue rose right here, you know, like it's got it going on. But for me, I didn't feel that I wanted it. And so I took it, and I remember I stuck it on my light switch right next to the light switch. It never came off of there, just couldn't. Um, Those things stick forever. But every time I walked past it, I felt that I prayed and God spoke to me individually. Now, I didn't judge my sister for putting hers on, but for me, it's just something that I felt God didn't want me to do. And to this day, even though I think tattoos are, are great, and I think a lot of people have some really awesome tattoos or whatever, for me, I don't want it but I'm definitely not gonna judge somebody that has it because my faith is definitely not controlled by what's on my skin. My faith is controlled by what happens in my heart. So the next time you wanna judge a person with a tattoo, stop and remember this message. (laughs) Remember that Jesus, the rider on the white horse, comes riding into battle with King of Kings and Lord of Lords tattooed on his thigh. You might have an issue in heaven one day. Nothing is unclean in and of itself, Paul says. But if it is to your conscience, then abstain. Romans 14, I'm almost done. Romans 14, 15 says, for if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. Do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, Paul says but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. And so here's the thing about liberty. Here's the thing about Christian liberty, is that even though we are free to get all the tattoos that we want and eat whatever we want and, 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 and partake in these things, here's the one thing that God, that is a mark of a changed life. When your life has truly been changed, you don't simply act based on what you want or what you like. You act based on what blesses others and is good for others. So even though I don't really partake in alcohol or whatever, I don't have any issue with it, but when I'm in public, most often I won't. Because if there is somebody who is weak in their faith, who struggles with alcohol in our church that sees me, they would feel enabled to do that and it may destroy their faith or it may even offend their faith. And so for their sake, not for mine, I'm right with God, for their sake I'll abstain. Why? Because I love people. And I want to see them fulfill God's plan for their lives. And so I will consider those that are still weak in their faith, growing in their faith, and do everything I can to be an encouragement to them. Paul says, everything is indeed clean, but it's wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. So we have a responsibility towards each other. We have a responsibility to help those that are weak in their faith and to consider them. I love what Rupertus Mel. Maldinius, uh, 17th century theologian, he said this, and I love this. He says, in essentials, in the things that are absolute, the things that I mentioned earlier and the others, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, love. That's the, the summation of my message today. And the things that are essential, we're absolutely unified. And the things that are non-essential, we have liberty. And, but in all things, we have love in, in our decisions. 
Do not fall into the trap of thinking that righteousness comes from what you eat or drink because it does not. Romans 14, 16, my final verse this morning says, so do not let what you regard as good to be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. In other words, it's not about physical things. It's about receiving the rightness of God in your own spirit, the joy of God, the peace of God in your own spirit. That's what the kingdom of God is about. In other words, it's not an external system, but an internal salvation. Does that make sense today? We are right with God, and so we get to choose to honor God through our actions. Righteousness, joy, and peace are divine gifts, not human works. And so Paul ends off by saying this. He says, finally, everything that does not come from faith is sin. Everything that doesn't come from faith is sin. Now there's two types of things that can come out of a lack of faith. The one is just being an absolute sinner, just doing evil things all of the time, just going out and living your life according to your own rules. It's not from faith. You're not submitting yourself to God and surrendering yourself to Him, so it's sinful. But the second one is going out and being very, very, very good. Very, very religious, very, very noble, very, very pious. But you're doing all of those things, not because you're honoring God, not because His grace is in your life, but because you're ultimately trying to save yourself. And that's what the Bible tells us about the Pharisees, the religious people. It says, they, wanting to establish their own righteousness, did not submit to the righteousness which came from God. And so, that's sin. Being very bad can be sin, but being very good can also be sin, because it's not submission to God. So what I do is, I just completely give myself to God. I just go, God, I'm not good. I could never earn this. I could never be good enough, but I belong to you. And I believe that you have saved me, redeemed me, and caused me to become the righteousness of God. It's who I am, it's my birthright. And so I am going to live according to who I am in you. I'm gonna let that dictate my action and my thoughts and my lifestyle. And the Bible tells us in Romans 8 that those who are children of God are led by the Spirit of God in every other area, whether it's about what I drink, what I eat, uh, whether or not I, I have tattoos, what I wear, what I say, I'm going to allow the Holy Spirit to guide me. You know why? I have a real relationship with him. I can actually hear his voice. I don't need to depend on the letter of the law because I have the spirit of God and the law of love that leads me in every area. If, if, if this offends your righteousness today, if this offends your sense of, or, your, or not your righteousness, but your religiousness, your religiosity, then I wanna encourage you to not become so good that you've become bad to not judge on the basis of your goodness and your areas of strength, but to welcome all people no matter where they are on the journey because God welcomes you. We can welcome others because he welcomes us and he welcomes us on the basis of his grace and his mercy. Amen? Amen. A tough one, Romans 14. Love it. Some, some controversy. <laughs> Go chew on that one this week and read Romans 14 for yourself. Don't take my word for it. Go and read Romans 14 for yourself and see what Paul says. But what we strive as Anchor Church is that in the essential things, we will have unity. The non-essentials, there's liberty. But in all things, there will be love. Amen?
Amen. Let's go ahead and just pray together.